This is episode number 142 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and on this episode we have Dr. Fergus Connolly. Dr. Connolly is currently one of the most sought-after human performance experts in the world. Um, He has someone who has coached um, all different kinds of sports, military, business, organizations. He's actually the only coach to have a full-time role in every major sport, including soccer. So it's someone that I, it's a little bit different type of an episode because it's not someone who is solely in baseball. Um, you know, he's worked with NFL, he's worked with NBA, he's worked with rugby, soccer, and Major League Baseball. And what he essentially does is he, he uh, you know, tries to kind of take what these people and organizations have and try to bring them to another level, right? He's, he really understands what teamwork is. He in this episode, he really gets into, you know, how do you get the most out of um, your uh, players or coworkers, whatever it may be. And so you guys can kind of rise to the top and be at your best, be, you know, find your own potential. So I think it's a pretty cool episode. Um, I hope everyone enjoys it. Um, you can follow Fergus on Twitter at Fergus underscore Connolly. Um, and uh, he's someone who puts out some great content on Twitter as well. Um, I would like to also uh, let everyone know that if you're if you have players like me who don't just learn by um, just you know feel right because some players you can tell them something they can feel it right away. Not everyone's like that. Some pe- some players they need to be able to see you know seeing numbers, seeing video that helps them learn, which is why I decided to partner up with Blast Motion because I think sometimes you know if you get a player tell a player hey you have a pretty steep bad angle you know you're negative five you're negative three right here we want you to be in the in the four to ten range that can kind of actually help them visualize what that means and kind of help them um, understand what you want them to do as a coach so head on over to blastmotion.com type in code pjb25 you'll receive $25 off so it's a blast motion bat sensor it's has a you know very very good value I've been using it for several years now and I just I can't recommend it enough for for how much it costs so blastmotion.com type in code pjb25 for $25 off here is Dr. Fergus Connolly All right, we are now live with Fergus Connolly. Fergus, thanks for coming on today. No, thank you very much for having me. So um, usually kind of how we like to start out the show is just you give a little bit of background uh, on yourself and uh, your your journey and how you, you became um, who you are today. Well, um, for those people who are probably hard of hearing, um, I'm Irish and uh, I grew up in Ireland uh, not actually involved in sport at all. Originally, I was a teacher, uh, construction studies, woodwork teacher, but um, stayed on at university, did a master's in manufacturing, did a PhD in computer-based optimization. But my passion was always sport, so I would save money, and in my vacation time, I'd go and visit coaches and teams around the world um, you know, to try and learn and understand what uh, it took to um you know be the best and so i just started on that journey um i was playing sport at the time but then eventually i was offered a job with the team because you know i just i guess gathered a lot of information and knowledge and was passionate about it and started working in soccer then international um rugby and then 
I started uh, working here for NFL teams, then with the 49ers at the University of Michigan, and then consulting with um, some military groups and other pro teams in all of the different sports uh, around uh, around the world. So it's been uh, an interesting journey. What's different about some of the sports you've worked with? Like, is there a certain way you need to talk to soccer players versus baseball players? Yeah. So, you know, the, when you look at uh, when you look at a, every sport, and this was so when I would move from you know from say rugby to soccer to the NFL or to collegiate football or whatever it was, um, most people see the differences. I started to see the similarities. So, if you just take psychology. Um, forget about the sport, but every player has to perform something that they've practiced so many times in practice under pressure in front of a few thousand people or you know a few hundred thousand if it's on TV. So um, when you think of it just from the psychological aspect, it's the exact same. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're um, you know a military operator, whether you're a soccer player, baseball player, NFL player. And then if you look at the physical components, they're all the same physical components like speed, strength, skill, flexibility, but they're played. It's like keys on a piano, some of different emphasis, but you have to account for all of them. So flexibility, for example, is or mobility is present in all of them. And then when you look at the tactical ability, which is the positioning on the field, the game sense, the experience that is built up and learned. It's specific to the sport, but how you train it and prepare it is the same in every sport. And then skill, while the skill is specific, how you train the skill, like the principles behind it are the same. And then obviously health is the same across all sports and, you know, organizations and teams. So those are, when you start to look at, there's a lot more in common than there is different. But to to your specific question about how you speak to them, yes, culturally then, Every sport is a little bit different. So, for example, in baseball, you've got, like in soccer in Europe, you've got, you know, many different nationalities. In football, everybody's the same nationality, but they have different backgrounds. So, you know, if you're speaking to a kid from Alabama, you're speaking to a kid from California, um, understanding the person, understanding their background is critical. So how you communicate with, how you understand their fears, their desires, their needs those things are that's that's where the art of coaching and the art of sports science comes in. What do you do um, when you when a player comes to you or um, a coach and they they say like I'm 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 fearful of X Y and Z. Well, the first thing is understanding you know what that fear is and if, is it rational because sometimes um, you know coaches are afraid of uh, something that they shouldn't be. So if, for example, you're, you know, you're a coach um, who's going up against uh, a bigger organization or a bigger school or a bigger budget, um, sometimes they're not rational fears just because the other organization has more resources. To be quite honest, in many cases, that's a disadvantage, particularly in Western cultures, because there's kind of a mindset that you know, the more money you have, the more resources you have, the better you're going to be. Very often... That's a disadvantage because um, you've got bigger backroom teams, you've got more money, you don't, you've got far too many, um, you know, plates to juggle, and you're not being efficient. And so sometimes smaller organizations that are lean, that are more streamlined, that are more cohesive, 
uh, are far, far more effective and get better bang for buck. And, um, and that's at every level. That's, you know, even down to from high school right up to professional teams. I see it time and time again where the most successful teams are very often a little bit leaner and a little bit more streamlined and a better clarity. Yeah, and I, and I think um, kind of piggybacking that a little bit too is it kind of comes down as well as as for, from the coach's standpoint is getting the players to buy in to what they, they want essentially, right? And so uh, if they, they don't get them to buy in, then honestly they could be the smartest guy in the world. It doesn't matter. Um, what How do you get coaches to – to kind of get those get their players to buy into what they want done on the field. So, really important point about that is that um, you can get anybody can go anywhere and get short term success. You know, I could I've had this conversation with CEOs of you know international companies to professional teams, um, and they've said and agreed with me. I could go in anywhere, take over an organization, and drive it hard for you know a year for two years and just get everybody to work harder and you know grind more and whatever and yeah you'll get a short-term improvement but to have sustained success to build an organization a team that's going to continuously get better and then when it gets there to dominate it all starts with honesty being you know being brutally honest um being open being authentic and fix and that's the fastest way to get to problems because you know, you have to sometimes have like, um, you know, difficult conversations to say, look, this isn't good enough. We need to improve this. What, how can I help you improve it? Um, or sometimes it's just um, difficult conversations around, you know, identifying, you know, everybody sitting around the table and going, OK, we're failing in this area. What do you think the problem is or how do you think we can improve it? And so when you've got that authenticity in a group where people are prepared and open and happy um, to tackle problems together, then you can really, you'll get to the root problem really quickly. And that's what builds that sustained success that, uh, eludes a lot of teams, a lot of organizations. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> reading over one of your tweets, um, actually right now you, when you're, um, talking about, uh, the, the Google study of how, um, they spent two years studying like 180 teams and, and the successful traits that they showed from those, um, you know, dependability, structure and clarity, meaning, impact, and psychological safety. Um, exactly. Yeah. Psychological safety is exactly what I'm talking about. Having that environment where people don't feel threatened, uh, you know, that's on one side, it's, you know, you don't feel threatened or you don't feel insecure. And on the other side, it's where you're excited to be able to come together with one another and solve problems because that's what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis is you're solving these problems. You're getting excited about solving problems. It's nobody's fault, but it's everybody's responsibility. You know, um, you know, you see a, a coach or, you know, a trainer, a strength coach, whatever it might be, um, who's overworked for in at this moment in time, you go help them. You just get, let's get the problem solved. Let's figure it out together. You know, nobody's insecure enough not to look for help or nobody feels threatened. So, and it's, that's what teamwork is. And if you've got teamwork from the, co in the coaching department, in the coaching staff, in the back room, then that's going to filter through to the players. And that's where you get these really, really special cultures. Um, but it starts with that authenticity uh, that psychological safety to be able to have those, you know, they, at the start, they're difficult conversations. And then eventually they become fun conversations because people know that you're not trying to, 
highlight issues to put anyone down or to you know make anyone feel uh, a lesser person. What about dependability, right? It, like, for example, you know you can depend on yourself, but how do you get me to kind of be dependable too? Well, I think the first thing is obviously leading by example, but dependability also means you know, being able to, and I had this conversation with a special operations group way, way back when I started, and one of the things that they were proudest about was the fact that, you know, one of their guys, if he felt that he wasn't up to performing at this point in time, had the courage to put his hand up and say, um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, or I've got this going on, I've got this injury, or I've got this other off the field or off the base issue. And that's like true dependability. And so that, again, is all tied into having that authenticity and that's that uh, psychological um, safety. And dependability is reinforced by, you know, acknowledging when people have been asked to do something and they get it done and they deliver. And it's like the old Carl Malone uh, nickname, you know, the mailman. You always, you get it done. You all, the mailman always delivers. And, um, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of organizations take a lot of pride in. Oh, I like that. The mailman. Always get it delivered. <laughs> what have you, um, I know you travel a lot, work with a lot of different organizations. Has there been anything recently that um, you've kind of, uh, that's changed your stance on like how you teach or is it kind of, it's been, it's been a certain way for several years now? Um, no, I'm always refining and changing and there's a, you know, Mike Boyle, who's actually worked with a lot of baseball players over the years, you know, I, I'll never forget him saying, I reserve the right to change my opinion if something better comes along. And uh, that's a wonderful example for all coaches. You know, you, you're always looking to improve. And, uh, you know, I, I've got ideas, theories, concepts, but I'm always trying to refine and improve them and create a model that um, that understand that I understand, and one of the areas that I've you know been asked to help a lot of organizations with more recently is their whole backroom structure and how you can ensure that all of these wonderfully qualified and experienced experts work better together. And so a lot of it comes down to understanding. It's not their technical expertise that's uh, holding them back or creating issues. Very often it's simply um, helping them as people, taking care of their families, taking care of the things that are important to them, their fears, their needs, their desires, um, so that they can come to work and, and you know work well for you. Because if you take care of somebody, uh, the things that are important to them and help them with that, whether it's you know, somebody's just joined your staff and helping their, helping them, you know, helping their wife find a house or fit in or whatever that might be, then they will do anything for you. And so it's showing that concern. Those things are becoming more and more important than purely technical expertise. Yeah, that um, personal relationship. Personal relationships, showing that you care, showing that you, like, you genuinely care, like, authentically care about the person. Um, and investing in in them, and uh, that's you know that comes back to that honesty, that trust, um, so that you know everybody's in this together. It's, uh, like I, you know, I keep saying it's it's nobody's fault, but it's all of our responsibility. 
Are you currently a coach who's been doing the same thing with your players for several weeks or months or even years now? If you want to learn more, if you want to continue to grow and have a growth mindset, make sure to check out my coaches course. Um, you can find it on my Twitter page um, or you can go to my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com and click on the course um, menu button at the top. And then we essentially will go over exactly all the modern techniques that are being taught how to use and implement technology and the best part is it's in a simplistic and easy to understand manner so head on over to my website patrickjonesbaseball.com and go and click on the course and you'll find all the information right there how do you combat someone who is dealing with another colleague who has a huge ego maybe and it's like it's really <laughs> hard for them to work with whether it be another coach or player like whoever it may be and you know and maybe your experiences in soccer with this or basketball. I'm just kind of curious as like, how would you advise someone to go about dealing with that? You mean there are egos in sport? Oh, there's huge egos <laughs> in sport. <laughs> um, I, I think, listen, there, the important thing obviously is understanding, um, you know, certain people have roles within organizations that it doesn't, doesn't matter. And you have to be respectful of it at the same time the best way to help um, uh, bridge that gap is to develop an understanding and a relationship. The worst thing you can do is ignore it. And so one of the, the, the simplest things that, you know, I've been in scenarios like that is um, asking the person questions about why they think this particular way in the most respectful way possible. Okay, so, so why, like, why do you think that or why is that the only way and, and asking them to explain it and then subtly perhaps eventually ask them, have you, have you looked at this other way and why, why does this not work, you know, or would this, is this the way that you're doing it better than this other way because of this or, and slowly just having a conversation and keeping that dialogue going and showing that you're genuinely interested in understanding because Sometimes the person is right. Sometimes that person has more experience. Um, but it's, you know, it's about being interested and asking them to explain why they think that particular way. And the, the, you have to remember that the biggest threat to an ego is, is essentially threat to their position, whether it's a social standing, a financial standing, whatever it is. So that's where that's, that's, where that's what that is being driven by. So you can't, you, you can't defeat it by purely just attacking it head on. And so have the conversations, keep talking, find out more, try and understand where they're coming from. And then slowly when, you know, that respect is going both ways because you've shown an interest, then you can start to um, ask questions more pointedly. Well, you know, if we did it this way, would that be any better? And when that ego is down, then you can get to the point where it becomes, yeah, we could do it that way. Look, why don't you try it and let me know how it goes? And now you're starting to get somewhere. Mm, I like that. I like that. What do you? What's your take on um, meetings? A lot of people have been like, you know, meetings are kind of a waste of time. Um, what do you? What do you think on meetings in general? I think meetings are critical. The problem usually is that uh, they go on too long. There's only one person talking, and they don't have an outcome. Um, so I'm a huge fan of short meetings, but with, um, not necessarily an agenda, but with an actual outcome, a deliverable. So I, I, am not a fan of these meetings that have 
you know big long agendas um you know far uh i get far more return from having shorter meetings more frequently um and the reason for that is that in sport it's a chaotic environment with you know complex changes happening all the time so the more frequent the meetings are the faster you can make changes people are more agile they get things done um and like one model with one team is having a you know a sit down meeting no longer than 45 minutes at max but i'm talking about the staff uh, for 45 minutes and then having a standing meeting on a Thursday morning for 15 meetings and standing means actually standing where we just stand run through a checklist um, you know to update quickly on what needs to be done and then even with players having very short meetings where um, you know the staff and the person holding the meeting knows clearly what their outcome is not necessarily specifically what it is but they know generally like I'm trying to get an answer to this particular thing and there are three different options. My goal in this meeting is just to figure out which one of these three the team or guys want to do or whatever it might be. But the short, frequent meetings, because the biggest challenge you have today is you've got large backroom teams. You've got constantly changing and developing situations. So you need fast information. You need to communicate quickly and you need to have everybody on the one page. So there's no ambiguity. And if you have frequent meetings where you get those key points across nobody can say they don't know uh, or nobody can feel left out and one of the things I learned from a Dutch soccer coach many years ago was if you stand in front of a group and tell somebody something tell one person something everybody else has heard it so you don't need to go around and tell you know 30 guys the same message um, so um, and everything's on the table um, and again if you've got that culture of honesty and humility people will feel free to question um, and bring things up in, in the group. So it just gets rid of this idea of closed door meetings, whispering and corridors and that kind of thing. Just get it out in the open. Let's go. So you've been around tons of different coaches and, and leaders of uh, what, and, and all sorts of different facets of life. What things do, do like the best leaders you've been around, like what traits do they have? I think the uh, in recent times the best head coaches um, are more managers of or, or they more coach the coaches as opposed to coach the players. Mm. So it's kind of like if you think of it like they of um, they stay out of the middle. So they they have a personal relationship with the players. So they know who they are. They know you know if their their partner's just had a child. Uh, they know about their personal situation and they've got a good personal relationship. And then um, on the, the top end, then they, they, they help manage the coaches and not hold them accountable, but more, you know, question them, um, you know, how is this player doing or do you think he needs to work on this? And then enables them to go and work on that and allows the coach do the actual middle bit, which is the coaching, because the teams, the, the sizes of squads, the sizes of backroom teams and everything has exploded so much. And that's what I find the best coaches do. So they've got that great interpersonal relationship um, where a player feels that they can come and tell them something personal uh, or deeply concerning if they need to. Um, and then at the same time, they're helping the coaches. The coaches who try and do everything, who try and actually you know, be the player's friend or, or rock, uh, coach the coaches and actually coach themselves, um, I think take on a lot and it's very difficult for them to be successful doing all three. Who's the best coach that, um, you've encountered out there? 
the best coach that I've encountered is one that nobody in the U.S. would know. It's a guy called Jim Galvin, and he uh, coaches in Ireland. But he was an Air Force pilot. Um, he's not that much older than I am, but his uh, experience in uh, in the military, his experience as an athlete and as a coach, um, incredibly humble, um, very keen to learn. But actually what was most impressive about him, and I think this came from his training as a pilot, was during games and on the sidelines, he was just as calm as could be. And that is another trademark of very successful coaches. And you see it with a lot of rugby coaches as well. Because in rugby, the coach generally is up above in, in, a, in a suite or in a box watching the game. So they, they are removed from the game itself. And coaches who can remain calm are actually on the sideline, are actually empowering their players to take ownership and control of what happens in the game. I know it's different for every sport, but the calmer that you are and the more that you empower the players to become self-aware, to listen to themselves, to know themselves, and then to come to you with perhaps suggestions, coach, I'm feeling this, or I don't think this, or coach, um, this is what I'm seeing, that's, you're empowering them. And like, I mean, you only have to look at, for example, a Belichick on the sideline to see where, you know, that's, some people would say, oh, well, it's easy because those coaches who are calm have great players on the field. Yeah, but how did they become great? Coaches allowed them to take ownership, you know, allowed them to control what was happening on the field. And that's very, very important for the modern athlete. But uh, for those coaches, would you during practice, would you say that's when they that's when they really get their message across? No, they they encourage it in practice as well. And so what they do is, um, yeah, they they will talk, but they really encourage it in practice as well. You know, uh, when speaking to a player, what did you think? Why why did that play go well? Why did that not happen? And get the player to start to self analyze, be self aware. Because the player has, is an expert in itself. And so really what you, when you look at a, a sporting organization, you've got a whole collection of domain experts, like whether it's the player, the, the medical team, the strength coach. And so what you want to do is you want to encourage them to keep getting better, to, be, you know, to self-analyze, to create this desire to keep getting better. So even with players, what did you think? Why did that go well? Why did that not go well? And that starts the process where the player then eventually starts coming to the coach, going, coach, I want to run that play again, or coach, I want to do this again because it didn't go, and I know what I did wrong, and I want to do it, and giving feedback to the coach. Um, you know, I, I've got that. I don't need to do that anymore, or I only need 20 minutes in the cage, or whatever it might be. That's when you're starting to really empower and develop the player. Baseball is, is such a long season, um, and I think you know there there are times when you go to the park and you know your body's not feeling good, like you're not feeling up for it as a player that day. How how do the best coaches motivate those players to continue to play hard every single day? Yeah, baseballs. <laughs> yeah, I, I get this question a lot, but with baseball, um, the big thing for me is focusing on facilitating the best possible lifestyle. So if you think of it like, um, uh, you know, the, the, the lifestyle and basic health is like the water that, you know, the ship is going to sail on. And the, you, if you can focus on that, 
help create a good culture, help create a healthy culture for everyone in the organization, um, then you can start to push the players a little bit more. But if you don't, you, you don't have anything in the tank. So everybody focuses, yeah, on pushing players and, and that. But you can do that, but there's only so long you can do that before players start to break down. So it starts at a starts far further bef- um, before that. And then it's also about understanding when the player uh, needs to be clapped on the back or to be kicked in the backside. You know, there's a, an Irish saying that there's only six inches between a kick in the ass and a, tap the, and a pat on the back. So it's knowing which is which. And, re- and that comes about through knowing your players because some players need to be pulled back a little bit. Also, some players are going to push through difficult times at their own expense eventually and break down. So it's really about knowing your players. What's been the, the context of like you working with um, people in baseball? Has it mainly been coaches or players? Um, most, almost exclusively uh, coaches, either baseball coaches, front office, or on the performance side, strength and conditioning, medical. Um, what, what, would have, what have been the common themes that they've been wanting help with? A lot of it's just seeing through the the noise. So baseball is going through an interesting time in that there's an explosion in interest in whether it be sports science and uh, technology and all these different things. And it's really the questions are around, you know, what is truly important and what should we be doing and what, you know, what's a waste of time, what's a waste of money. And it really comes down to an effectiveness efficiency trade-off. In other words, some things are effective, some things will work, but then how do you make them efficient? You know, they can work, but then when you try and bring them into the organization, they don't actually work there. So now you just chew up time doing testing, but it's not actually translating to results. So how do you do it? And that's very much dependent on the organization. In other words, you can have the world's best strength and conditioning program. Players are getting stronger in the weight room, but it's not translating um, to baseball so how do you like what works what doesn't work so that's where something's effective but you know it's not necessarily efficient so how do we how do you figure out what works what doesn't and you've one of the challenges in baseball are there's so many different silos so many different people from so many different back um, you know backgrounds so how do you create that culture um, that's going to work well together and then the other challenge you have is in baseball You've got some big organizations. You've got some small organizations. What works best in which scenario and how do you use your resources best? The, this, the one answer that is absolute is more is not better. It's not just, you're not going to get better just throwing money or throwing more people at a problem. You have to you know, actually solve the problem. So better is better. More is just more. Love that. That's awesome. Um, Fergus, how can um, how can someone get in contact with you? What's the best way to go about that? Best way is just follow me on Twitter. And uh, there's a link on there if somebody wants to contact me. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is just at Fergus underscore Connolly. Awesome. I, I assume you travel a good amount? Just about to travel today for a few weeks, yeah. Where, yeah. where, do, you, where are you traveling? I mean, all over the U.S., world? Yeah, so uh, Chicago later on tonight, then Miami, Chicago, and then Iceland. Uh, cool. So yeah, so it's um, interesting 
traveled. I get, uh, yeah, put up some miles, but it's fun. I love helping good people do great things. Awesome. Fergus, really appreciate you coming on today. No, thank you very much for having me. Hope it's some help to, to your listeners.